Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, a sentient septic sensorium of Norwich City opinion as we sense a change in fortune following our sensational climb to seventh in the table. My name's Tom and I'm joined as ever by John and this week it's everyone's favourite Northern co-commentator and best ever Norwich player to dye his hair beach blonde, it is Mark Rivers. We'll review back-to-back wins for Nodge, talk about Mark's pride in pulling on the digital phone company shirt and sprinkle in some questions from the mailbag. First up, Let's review a couple of back-to-back wins for the Canaries. Firstly, uh, Mark, you had the honour of sitting alongside Mr. Gorham um, at the New York Stadium. Um, talk us through the Rotherham game, because um, there seemed to be some mixed reviews as to how good we actually were. Yeah, well, I wasn't sort of sat next to him. I was about four or five metres away. I had to sit <laughs> in the stand, you know, all the social distancing that's, uh, that's going on at the minute. Strange old world, isn't it? Um, yeah, uh, I was a little bit disappointed with the performance, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I like to try and be as positive I can, as I can when I watch Norwich games because, you know, it's a club that uh, I hold dear to my heart and that, you know, and my daughter was born in Norwich and things like that. So it's it, it's really nice to, to sort of go and watch the games again. And I try and be as positive as I, as I can because I know sometimes it can be difficult as a player and things don't go your way and things don't go right. And, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of things that can go right and wrong, but I actually thought Rotherham were better than us, especially in the first half, um, which was a little bit concerning, uh, if I'm honest. But somehow, you know, whether it was luck or fortune or what, we uh, we managed to get the win. So, I mean, wins, wins are what it's all about. Uh, you know, we can look back at performances, can't we? And you, you tend to forget at the end of the season whether you played well or not so well in, in certain games as, as long as you've got your points and it doesn't really matter does it it seems to that was just after the the transfer window was closed and it seems that it was almost a, a period of turmoil for the club uh, it seems to have really unsettled this this squad more than yeah. i can remember a previous start to a season really um is that the impression you've had as well john yeah, I mean, I, I was actually, weirdly enough on that. I was talking to someone at the club today about the Rotherham performance and and saying that we were a little bit disjointed. I agree with Mark. You know, in the first half, we didn't look particularly at it. Rotherham's high press caused us a whole load, a whole host of problems, which you know was was really concerning for me. And I thought Birmingham might deploy the same tactic last night. Fortunately, they didn't. But you know, Rotherham found it really easy in transition to to just cut through us, you know, and they created a, a whole host of chances, which, you know, they sh- should probably have had two or three goals at the interval. So should Norwich, in fairness, you know, we created enough chances to, to be well in it. Um, but yeah, it, but going back to my, my point is actually apparently after the game, the players kind of treated that almost as if they'd won a cup final. Like it was so big for them that they'd come from behind psychologically. They hadn't done that. I think for best part of 18 months, you know, kind of to come back from um, one nil down and actually win a game. This is a team that's still a little bit in transition, is still trying to kind of get over the hangover of, of Premier League defeat after defeat after defeat, you know, kind of week in, week out. And it's going to take a bit of time to turn that ship around. It's a, it's a bit of a tanker at the moment and it's, it's, take, it's taking longer than I think probably a lot of us hoped. But two wins on the, you know, back to back, it kind of feels like psychologically the mood might have shifted a bit. Mark, what did you think of uh, Hugel? Oh, so he got his first start at Rotherham. Um, and before we come on to the Birmingham game, just be interested in your thoughts as to how effective we looked in, in playing up to him. What with him being clearly a very different option to what we're used to in, in Pukki? 
Yeah, he is different. Uh, he's a different type of player altogether, I think. Um, I think we've got to get more balls into the box for him. Uh, definitely more crosses. He's not as good as Pookie with his movement. Um, and he's not as clever as Pookie as regards to, you know, finding a bit of space in the box and, and, and a clever finish. I think his, his finishing, he, he, he tends to snatch at stuff a little bit. Um he had a couple of good chances, well, one particular in the first half against Rotherham where it came to him and he snatched it and, and smashed it over the bar where a little bit more composure, you know, he'd have ended up getting a shot on target. So other than that, though, he, he works hard and he, 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 he's good at holding the ball up. He brings people into play. I think he's going he's gonna to get better with games because he, he obviously hasn't played for a little while as he's sort of been in and out of, of first-team football for a bit. So, he's going to get better. That's that's without a doubt. Uh, and the potential's definitely there. But I think, I don't think he's as polished as what Pookie is, if you know what I mean. He, I think if he gets half a chance, I mean, I know he's been struggling a little bit lately with his with his goal-scoring Pookie, but I think as, as a player, he's a more polished, polished centre-forward. He's more than finished article where I think Hugo's... Got a little bit, a little bit to go before, before he reaches that sort of, uh, that sort of level. Really, that's just that's just my opinion on that one game. Really, yeah, I think that was something that seemed to um, be evident from my opinion, anyway, uh, from from last night's game. So we're recording on on Wednesday after the the, the Birmingham victory at home, um, and I, I thought that whilst some uh, pundits were saying that we looked a bit confused and we weren't really sure what the what the identity was because we we brought on a guy that you think we'd start banging in crosses into that actually we had been doing for Puki earlier in the season um, we'd then started to try and play a different way to to then try and get the ball up to to Hugel and that seemed a bit confused um that seemed to be kind of fixed almost completely uh, last night um you know we seemed to be um, really clear in how we go from back to, to front or play through the lines, as, as, as John Punt likes to say. Um, and Hugo, I thought in particular, looked like he he felt more like a Norwich player last night. I don't I don't know if that sounds sounds strange, but he, he almost felt like he's got that initial full ninety minutes or most of ninety minutes. I think I think he played the whole game at Rotherham um, you know, under his under his belt. And and it very much felt like his second, you know, the second uh, phase of, of him. Right, okay, that, those kind of cobwebs are blown away now. I am actually a number nine. I am leading the line, um, and and I loved having having Puki in behind him like that. I thought I thought it worked really really well, and it and it was a different option. It's, to be honest, I think it's just so nice to see something different to what we've been watching for the last three years, and you know, to finally see a different sort of shape and and the opportunities, especially with then Ida coming on, which then gives it yet another different at- attacking option going forward. And um, how do you think they might might balance that, John? Like go- going through through the kind of games that are coming up because it's thick and fast. Having three that we genuinely feel, I'm happy if any one of those three or any two of those three is on the pitch at any time. That, that that's a big difference to where we've been the last couple of years. Yeah, it's really interesting that he he chose to go with. It was almost two frontline strikers last night. I thought, you know, Puki, although he was playing slightly behind Hugill, he got beyond him quite a bit, you know, and and Hugill kind of brought him into play um, on several occasions. And I thought that partnership looked like it had signs um, that it it could blossom. 
as you say, we've got a whole host of games coming up. I think it, it was something um, really daft, like in the next 17 days, like, you know, there was loads and loads of games before the next international break. So clearly this is going to be a squad game. They've all scored now, which is really, really positive. We need one or two of them probably to, to kick in with a, a few goals between now and January, um, just to kind of you know set us up really nicely. But I think Farker's proven already, you know, that, that actually he wasn't afraid to switch it up. Um, last night, he, he brought Todd Cantwell back in. He looked at Pukki in, you know, in, in a number 10 when he probably could have gone for a, a more traditional number 10 in behind Hugo. So I think he's probably learned a bit from, from being quite rigid in, in his team selection and probably understands now that, you know, more than ever, that, that really he's going to have to rotate his squad ever so slightly to get the best out of them. I mean, there's only one position where he can't really do that at the moment, and that's centre-back. But everyone else, you'd say that, you know, there's, um, there's spots up for grabs. It's 10 games in the next five weeks. Um, so, you know, it is the true Saturday, Tuesday kind of uh, mm. element to the championship that, that you know, you, you always talk about. Um, so moving on to um, moving on to last night, because there were some there were some negatives and some concerns around the fact that it hadn't necessarily been the most complete performance and without King Krull's save um, and, and without them missing a couple of chances, as you said, Bibbo, actually. Um, we could have been out. They could have been out of sight, really, and we wouldn't have had a chance of getting back in the game. I, I personally felt a lot of that was put to bed last night in the in the Birmingham game, and you know Toddy could have had four on his own. Um, and and some of the football, the, the ball retention. Yes, Karanka had set his team up to to sit back, and they looked like the Karanka Middlesbrough teams of old. Um, well, not that old, recent. Um, of of just you know, well, you know, break us down. We're happy for you to have the ball. That proper Mourinho style. We're better without the ball. Um, but I, th- I think that the amount of confidence they must take from a team completely set up to prevent them scoring, but eventually actually breaking them down, not by changing the way they play, but just by patiently sticking to it, that's surely got to be a great confidence builder, uh, Ribeiro, hasn't it? It has, yeah, because that's so difficult to play against when teams just just sit deep. And um, I mean, Rotherham didn't do it on Saturday. They were they were very attacking-minded and, and almost, you know, took the game to Norwich, really. They had no fear in getting stuck in and, and moving the ball quickly forward. But, you know, I watched the highlights uh, this morning of the Birmingham game and they just looked like they were trying to settle for a point and trying to maybe hit us on the break slightly. And, you know, I mean, it annoys me when teams do that because it's almost like you're sort of giving up before you even started, really. And it then just becomes... A bit of a boring game to watch as as a, as a football fan, you know. When you, when it, I mean, I've been a little bit critical of how quickly we've been getting forward um, of late, and I just think that sometimes it just takes way too long for us to get up the pitch, and especially when a team is is as soon as they've finished attacking, it's just literally every player behind the ball. It then just becomes virtually impossible to get in behind them and and, and score any goals and. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's good that we managed to, you know, break them down and, and get that, that late goal from Mario, which, which was, a, was a fantastic finish from him. And I'm, I'm hoping he's going to get a few more, few more starts as well because uh, I'm a big fan of his. I think he looks forward and plays the ball forward all the time. And uh, that, that's one of my the things that I really like about him. Um, I don't like it when players are negative and pass the ball backwards. So 
I think with him in the team, he, he just gives us something that quite a lot of the other players don't give us. What are you? What is the way to to, to kind of resolve that? You know, the, the slow way of playing the ball forward. Is that the sort of thing that, if you've been set up a certain way, is very very difficult to change from the touchline? Is that something that has to come from the players? You know, is that something that the either the the, the skipper or, or or someone with a bit of uh, uh, a bit of get up and go on the pitch can actually rally people around and start to move the tempo because you do often see that kind of windmill um, uh, up those windmill kind of hands from the from the coach on the sideline which suggests you know we need to start getting the ball with a bit more tempo how difficult is it to kind of go into an extra gear um, with over, like when, you, when you're actually on the pitch well I mean it's individual players taking too long on the ball that was my my criticism on Saturday, especially sort of Emmy was one, Max Aarons was another. It um, was taking way too long on the ball. Every time they got the ball, it was two, three, four, five touches. And the first time that they did it was when this, we got the own goal against Rotherham. It was one touch stuff. And it was actually Emmy and Max that were pivotal in that goal. So uh, they can do it. Sure, they can do it. Um, I just think sometimes, Emmy in particular, I think he thinks he's he's almost better and he's got loads of time because he's such a good player. He thinks he's got more time on the ball than he actually has. And when you're playing against teams that are, are pressing very, very quickly and high up the pitch like Rotherham were, you haven't got a lot of time on the ball. So, you know, it, firstly, it's got to come from, from Daniel himself saying, look, get the ball shifted quicker, move it one, two touch, because all of them can do it. They're all good enough. They've got, some of them players have got such good techniques. You know, players like Emmy and Max, Timu, you know, all of them basically, even the centre-halves are pretty decent on the ball. So there's no reason why that any of them can't, you know, instantly switch to like just knocking the ball around quickly, which I think is is... is it's the best the best way we play is when we attack with pace and speed and speed of pass because nobody can outrun a football. So if you if you're passing it quickly, nobody can get anywhere near you. It's interesting and, and probably the the most obvious comparison question to ask there is, you know, you mentioned the the centre backs being handy on the ball. I, I thought Hanley um, Hanley got a lot of praise last night, but I thought Gibson was superb as well. He certainly does not look like he 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 had his every right, I think, Gibson to look a lot rustier than he does, given how little football he's played um, in the last kind of couple of years or whatever. Um, I thought thought centre backs looked terrific last night. Let's let's do the obvious comparison question then to 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 the squads that you played in at Norwich, because um, I think it's probably probably fair to say that the technical talent wasn't quite as evenly spread uh, throughout the squad. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, Malky could barely kick a ball straight. <laughs> you could have, well, Craig Fleming was decent on the ball, wasn't he? He, he was. He was quite good at passing it around. Malky, honestly, was was he couldn't pass water. You know, he was he was not good at all on the ball. <laughs> but he was great in other areas. You know, he could head it, and he was a great leader. He was as slow as a cart horse, but he he was really positioned himself really well. He was a he was clever, Malky. So he had he had great qualities, but then you know there was no end. He was nowhere near as technically gifted as someone like Gibson. You know, he was he was really pretty good on the ball. Um, here we have Adam Drury. He was just he was just a fantastic defender, wasn't he? Um, 
there wasn't many better left backs than him in the, in, in the division. Uh, then what do we have? Right back, Mark Edworthy. He, he was another great, great player getting forward, lovely on the ball. Um, he, he was a really good player. Um, who do we have in midfield? Was it Gary Holt? He was just a ball winner, wasn't he? He was three lungs. Could run, he could run forever and he was uh, good in the tackle. He was decent on the ball, Gary. I mean, he, he was definitely, he was definitely more skillful than, than he gave himself credit for. You know, he, he was always saying, I wish I had such and such his ability and that, but he didn't miss many games, did he? He was, he was picked every week and he was, he was putting a good performance. He was a really good player. Um, who else was there? McVeigh. You know, I'd, I'd liken him maybe to Buendia a little bit. He was very skillful on the ball. Um, technically really good. Eye for a goal. And then there was Ewan wasn't there up front. There's not been many players like Ewan. You know, he's, he's almost a little bit old school, isn't he? Where he's just a big, strong centre forward, but he, he knew how to score a goal. He, he was uh, he, he was a great motivator as well. Even if if you were having a bit of a bad game, he'd be like, "Come on, you, you can do it. You, you've got great ability, and you just get back into the game." And he was he was really encouraging and, and, and a real sort of someone to look up to, you know. And, and we all did as well. Um, and then there was people like Hooks, wasn't there? He was he was just electric. Just a fantastic player. Uh, I think when he came in, he was he was a step up from from everybody that was in the squad. Really, he, he was so good. Was that noticeable um, first training session? Well, I mean, we played against him loads, haven't we? He, he, he played for Forest and, and Man City and absolutely tore us up. You know, from from, from playing against him, everyone knew he was good. Um, and then he. he the thing with Hawks was he, he was so late. He was a bit like me. He was, he was really laid back, um, but he was just like he was just uber confident. You know what I mean? He was he was he knew he was good, and but he wasn't cocky with it. He was he was a really nice bloke. Everyone got on with him. He was funny. Um, he was just one of the lads, really. But he was you could tell he was good. You know, you could tell he had, and he was just he was fast and he was skillful. And, He'd score a goal. He was absolutely crap in the air. But he didn't really mean to be anything else, did he? But yeah, he, he was great, very inspirational. Um, and then we been, had obviously Robert Green in goal, didn't we? So he, yeah. was, he was fantastic goal. He's up there in he's up there in your pantheon of, of favourites, isn't he, Punt uh, Bob Green? Greeno, yeah, I mean probably the best goalkeeper. Oh no, actually. Rob Green or Brian Gunn for the best goalkeeper I've seen at, at Norwich City football. No, Rob, Rob, Rob Green was better than Gunny. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I was I was lucky yeah, enough was. to see Gunny in the European run, and in and around that time in the late eighties, Gunny was phenomenal. I think he was probably the best goalkeeper in the top flight at one point. He was just so good, ridiculously good. Yeah. But Greeno was right up there, and he, you know, and he played for England. You're right; he's a terrific goalkeeper. Uh, you know, I really, really liked him. Yeah, he's, he's a great keeper. But we'd be remiss if we didn't ask what, what one of our favourites, and, and in, including Lorne, uh, who, who used to be on this pod every time as well, uh, Darren Kenton. Talk to us about Darren Kenton, because he, he was one of that yeah. era that, that we, we all remember very, very highly. Yeah, um, I almost forgot about Kent, because I think he was only there for maybe my first season, and then he moved on. 
he got to Southampton or something. Yeah, Southampton, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Did, yeah he did, didn't he? Um, Kent's was, he, I mean, you couldn't get more laid back than Kent, really. He was, he was so chilled out. He was quiet. Um, everyone liked him, though. He was, he was definitely one. That was one good thing about that squad. Everybody liked each other. Um, we all got on really, really well. Um, and Kent was just, he was so fast. He was so talented. Um, he, he'd make a mistake, but then he'd make up for it. He'd get back. He was so fast, he'd get back and make a tackle. Um, just a really, really good player. I think he got injured quite a bit, didn't he, when he, when he moved and... Uh, I think if he hadn't got injured so much, he'd, he'd have definitely, I mean, he achieved a, a lot anyway. He played in the Prem, didn't he? And just, I thought he was, he was a really, really good player. He would get bored and then, he, 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 yeah, his quality. I remember him getting loads of, in, in that season where he, you know, just before the move, he used to get man of the match sort of every third, every third home game. He, 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 he sort of used to joke about renaming it the Darren Kenton Award. Because because he would he would get he would get forward so often and it would so often be him that was making the recovery tackle. Um, mm. So so yeah we, we, we yeah well he was he was on my side of the pitch as well we we stuck up quite a good uh, comp I mean we were both both fast weren't we and I guess when we were going forward we were pretty unstoppable at times because we were both both so fast and both so you know attack minded really. But equally, I mean, he was equally as good at getting back and defending, and, and he did. He made some real vital challenges and blocks and, and things like that. And he never, he never shirked out of a tackle, or he never, you know, might have been getting the ball smashed in his nuts or whatever. He, <laughs> he'd block anything, and he, you know, he, yeah, he's just a fantastic player. What, what Do you think that, that helped you, like, in terms of because Darren Huckabee talks quite a bit about having Adam Drury behind him and kind of knowing that he didn't perhaps have to track back as much and he could just rely on on um, on Drury to to mop up, you know, his mess sometimes if it all gone awry. Did you kind of have that same understanding with, with Kenton because you were way more offensively minded than than perhaps you know kind of thinking about tracking back? Yeah, I mean, I, I look back and my defending was atrocious, full stop, really, but. <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose I was similar to Hooks in that respect because he hated getting back as well. And um, the, the one thing about Adam Drury, like he didn't mind if you didn't sort of track back, he, he wouldn't say anything because he was such a good defender anyway. He's like, and he was very, very quiet. Um, he'd never really say anything to anybody if they didn't track back. He'd just sort of deal with it and get on with it. But Kent was like, you know, he'd start swearing at him, go, get back here, you lazy bastard, and all that, you know. <laughs> and, and then you'd have Craig Fleming, like, he just turned into sort of some sort of devil man if he got on his nerves and didn't do your job properly. And his head looked like it was going to explode half the time. But <laughs> I could tell him in one game, I said, look, Flem, you don't have to shout at me, mate, just tell me. Because he literally turned around as I wanted to stab me a thousand times. It was ridiculous. But, and then from then on, he was just like, Rivo, you haven't done your job properly. I was like, yeah, I haven't. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, so that was all good fun. Was he the, so who was, who was harder then? Um, and who was tougher on the pitch, Flem, Fleming or, or Holt? Um, I'd, I'd say... Uh, Flem was more of of a leader, I guess. Um, he was one for. Well, he, he was a moaning bastard as well. You know what I mean? He, 
but he was doing it for the right reasons. He, he'd have a go at you to try and get you G'd up and, and this, that and the other. Whereas Gary was a bit more, he was more quiet, but he went about his business in a in a sort of hard fashion, if you know what I mean. He'd get stuck in in the tackle, wouldn't he, and win, win the ball back and just break things up a bit like Teddy does now, I guess, really. Because they're both in management so, yeah, now, so they, was, they, that, was that expected? They were different. I, I, well, do you know what? I was a little bit sort of surprised by maybe Gary going into management. He was he was just so he was quite quiet, really, especially around the lads. He, he, yeah, he was always like he'd sit at the back of the bus with his headphones on and he'd be watching the film and he wouldn't really sort of join in as much as a lot of the other ones, really. Whereas, uh, you know, Flynn would be in our card school, me, Ewan and Flynn used to play and I feel like used to back down and he used to play now. But me, me and Ewan used to be partners in, in the card school and then, yeah, I'd always be getting my knuckles wrapped and putting the long cards down and things like that, so... What did you used to play? Uh, we used to play like um, hearts and things like that, you know, where you'd, you'd have four four players, but you'd, you'd play in a team of two. And you'd have to put your right cards down and, you know, your, your suits and things like that. Uh, just because there was no, you know, your mobile phone was a, was a brick then days, wasn't it? You know, you could literally text on it and that was about it. So there was... Uh, there was no no real form of entertainment other than that and maybe a portable DVD player. That's what getting into. It's like it's only like fifteen years ago, wasn't it? But times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we uh, so speaking of going back, you know, going back retro style. Um, John and I were talking through our various uh, Mark Rivers memories, and we were both we hadn't met at this point, but we were both at the Bradford City um, game at the start of the season where we won the league. Um, and you scored a penalty to uh, open the scoring. Um, do you remember that? Yeah, vaguely, yeah. I think I do. And yeah. Cause it I was, don't think it was the best penalty in the world, but it went in the corner, I think, if I can remember. If it goes, if it's a, if it's a perfect penalty, if you score it. So. Goes in, don't it? Yeah, yeah. it doesn't make matter. Yeah, so that, that, yeah. Was, that was kind of the start. Uh, that was the start of the season, although an 84th and a 90th minute kind of, you know, to, to concede that wasn't exactly a, a suggestion that we were going to march to the title like we did um, but but you know, how how soon through that, that title winning season um, were, were you guys starting to think oh do you know what this might this, this might be our year well I can remember on a personal note starting that season really really well and, and scoring quite a few goals and and uh, things were going really really well Um and then I obviously picked up a bit of a bad injury against Nottingham Forest. And then for some reason that season just fell apart for me personally, but I could just never get fit. And I was playing with, you know, suspected broken ankle and things like that. And I was going for x-rays and scans and all sorts of stuff. And things would show up and people would be saying, no, you've not broke it. And then other people say, oh, I broke it. Um, then I was just pulling muscles left, right and centre and trying to get back fit and it just ended up being a nightmare really. But the one thing I will say is I was never made to feel as though I wasn't part of the whole thing that was going on, which was which was quite amazing really because I missed so much of the season. But I think from what I can remember when we got Hooks and on loan and Peter Crouch... I think everyone's spirits and 
the reality that we were actually going for it, you know, I think it all came together and coincided with them two coming in. So that was, yeah, so I, I was just looking and you, yeah, you, 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 you sort of undersold how well you started the season. You scored th- three goals in the first four games. So that, that is a pretty good start to it, to any season. Um, you know, especially bear in mind you weren't an out-and-out striker. I mean, two of them were pens, but even so, um, you've got to take the perfect penalties to do it. So, yeah, so broken, suspected broken angle, ankle with lots of different scans. So do you think you might have, do you think kind of, you know, nearly, nearly 20 years on as, as medicine which is a scary thought um you know do you think with with more modern equipment and the 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 more that kind of they have much better medical staff and stuff on on hand for every game now do you think maybe you might have got back fit quicker because it would have been better diagnosed and better treated if you'd have had that same injury in this season well i i guess so i mean i can remember going for an x-ray in nottingham when it happened because i remember going up for a header and landing funny, I think I landed on the guy's foot. And I, I remember hearing a crack and thinking I broke my leg straight away, instantly. And I sort of looked down and I thought, well, no, it's not, it's not, it's okay. And I tried to get up and I couldn't walk. And I thought, well, maybe I have. And then I remember the physio coming on and saying, you're all right. And I said, I can't actually, I'm in so much pain. I mean, you know, I think I've broke my leg type of thing. Uh, anyway, I've gotten got in and went to the Nottingham Hospital and they did an x-ray and they were like, no, it's not broken, you're fine, you've only sprained it or whatever. Um, so it was treated as basically as, a, as a, a sprained ligament ankle type of injury. But I can remember every time I'd run in my recovery, you know, during the treatment phase, I'd have this horrendous sharp pain in my ankle and I kept saying to the physio, I can't, Literally, I can't run. It's hurting me so much. And he was like, no, you just fight through it, fight through it, you'll be fine. And I, I still get pain to this day in the same ankle. You know, and I can remember going to see numerous doctors and things. And one doctor who examined me said, you have definitely, this has been broken. There's no, without a doubt, this ankle has been broken. But they couldn't find any evidence, you know, I only had that one x-ray and then I think I remember having some sort of scan on it but by then it had probably healed anyway. Um, it was so far down the line so to answer your question I guess nowadays maybe yeah, maybe I'd have had some sort of I don't know earlier scan or earlier diagnosis where because I, I, I was back running on it in sort of like two or three weeks they were making like, come on, get back fit again, you know, trying really trying to push me to get back fit because I'd started the season so well, I guess. Um, you know, and it just, I, I think, I mean, I suppose I'm to blame as well by not saying I can't do it. I kept saying to the physio, I can't do it. When he was like, no, just do it. But in, in reality, I should have gone, I, I literally, no, I'm not doing it. I can't. You know, it's hurting me so much, but Back then, I was just trying to get back fit and get back into the team, I guess. And it ended up just being a nightmare. So, <laughs> how difficult is that psychologically? You know, when you've made a really good start to the season, you're probably kind of in the form, possibly of your career, playing for you know, for Norwich, you know, kind of and competing at the top end of the league. To then get yourself injured, and then you almost see you know events overtake you, and the team are doing really well, 
and, and you're sat on yeah. the sidelines psychologically how do you reconcile that because you know you by rights you really should be part of that yeah I mean I felt the whole season that I you know especially when I started that season I felt amazing I felt great I felt everything was was going to be leading up to being good you know I think Nigel at the time had, had great faith in me you know the, the previous two seasons have been it's been okay. I've, I've done done all right. I've done. I, I mean, my biggest problem I was inconsistent. I was good one week and crap for the next two or three games, and then I'd be back good again. You know, and I, I self-diagnosed myself as an inconsistent player anyway. And but it seemed like he, he really had my back, and he, he, he was, you know, he, he wanted me to play well, and and obviously I was playing well. So I mean, to get the fact it took me so long to get back, and then. When I did get back, I wasn't fit. I wasn't as good as I was. I was playing in pain. And, you know, I know it sounds like I'm making a, a few excuses and that, but my form just wasn't good enough. I wasn't fit enough. I think a broken um, ankle is a pretty good excuse, mate, to be honest. No, I know. But, I mean, once I was back then, you know, and, and in and around the team and, and sort of fit, I still wasn't, I wasn't match fit I, because I was just getting, like, 10 minutes in, 10 minutes there. And, you know, just, it was just, I think everything just caught on with me and I ended up, it, it was demoralising, it really was. And then I think Nigel just lost, he lost his patience with me. And because at one point he said, are you actually injured? And I was like, Jesus, I, I just pulled me, I think I tore my thigh and my thigh was literally like twice as big as what it should have been. And he was like, what, how have you done that? And I said, well, just running down, just doing running exercises and I've torn my thigh. Well, have you? Looks like you've been hit with the ball type of thing. It's like, how can you say I've got, I've got a hole in my thigh, you know what I mean? So is it... A, was it so so I, think that, that just, I think he just lost... That relationship lost broke down. Me, that, so that, that relationship yeah. broke down because, I mean, that's that, you know, you've only got to go to the, the Mark Rivers wiki page to suggest that there was a bust up <laughs> between you and you and him. Um and and it seems it's interesting because like for in in seasons where in seasons where teams win the league normally that is not when you have bust ups anywhere in the squad and it's great to hear that that actually you, you did feel part of it and you did feel feel part of part of the squad the whole time um so what what was the what were the um lads like during that time were you were you still did you still feel like you were getting getting real support from you know you in and the card shark yeah, the lads were, 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 I mean, we, we built such a rapport between the whole lot of us. They were, they were all great with me. You know, I'd like to say that I was a big part of the squad, as in, you know, people would take the piss out of me and I'd take the piss back and it was fun, exciting, and we'd have a laugh. And you know, I'd like to think that I, even though I wasn't contributing on the pitch, I was definitely contributing, you know, on the side of having a laugh with everybody and, and things like that, you know, during training and in games when people were playing well, I, I'd always, always compliment them and, you know, and I never, I never didn't feel part of that at all. It, you know, everyone was so supportive and they were all like, it's such, such a shame that, this, you know, you're going through this shit and, um, I can't say that Nigel was 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 horrible to me. He wasn't. I guess it was just like 
he was pushing to get promoted. I think he expected quite big things from me and obviously I delivered that early on and then it was just injury after injury after injury after injury and he just got it just got to the end of his table with me and I guess that's what it was. You know, I look back, what is it, 15 odd years old now and I'm as much to blame as him for the breakdown in communications. You know, I, I was quite a I was quite a quiet person with regards to communicating with management. So I could have done better myself. I could have communicated with him better, communicated with, with Dougie better, you know, Dougie Livermore that was assistant at the time. I can remember talking to, you know, do you remember Neil Webb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Webby, yeah. You know, Webby. I remember communicating with him a lot. You know, we, we got quite close because I was obviously playing a lot, well, when I was sort of fit playing to the reserves quite a lot and I was you know telling him all my frustrations and that and he, he was he, he was great to sort of like to be around and to sort of vent your frustrations on but I mean in reality I should have gone direct to Nigel really and said look I feel like I'm struggling here or you know I need your help to do this or I need you know more time to get this better or that better you know, he came to me and said, are you fit? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wasn't, you know, so I didn't do myself any favours. And it was as much my fault that we fell out as it was maybe him not communicating as well as he should have done with me, really. So, uh, you know, I, I take equal responsibility for the breakdown of communication with him. Do you think that's maybe suggestive of the time, though, like kind of nowadays where, where men are encouraged to talk about how they're feeling? There's loads more sports science in the game. That, that perhaps you'd have felt a bit more comfortable. And I, I guess I'd be really interested to get your take, Mark, in terms of how you think you'd have, you'd have got on in the modern game, because you know, there's loads more emphasis on, on fitness. And, and when I mentioned to a friend that, that you were coming on the podcast, he kind of described you as he said, oh, Mark Rivers, he said, I loved him as a player. He said, he's so much talent. But he kind of said he was one of those throwback players that he was almost the last of a generation where afterwards kind of it really turned into athletes you know kind of six packs and all the rest of it and you know you were perhaps known for when i'm i remember seeing you in time nightclub you know kind of having a pint and you know i think there was rumors that you you quite liked to siggy as well you weren't you know kind of your natural athlete if you know what i mean you know, do you think there's so much that's changed between now and then yeah i guess there i mean when i look back to my crew days i was i was very slim um i was very very fast i was net i was never injured i never ever got injured at all um i was like i was like every other player's regards to going out i didn't go out a lot um but when we we went out as a team i joined in and we went out as a team that's a bit of a myth regarding the siggies and stuff i mean i, I thought it might be yeah People have said that to me quite a lot and I've like, you know, where have you got that from? And, and someone said, oh, I saw you doing it. I was like, I don't know how you can because I didn't. So it's a bit of a myth really. I mean, I don't know where, but it's whatever, you know, I'm 44 now and it's, it, it's something that's sort of like followed me around a bit, I guess. Some, I mean, I can remember talking talk about robbery and that Paul Warren. Um, I, was, uh, I was warming up for a game against Rotherham because he used to play for them didn't he and uh, he, it was it was in the year that we were getting promoted and he said oh 
Gapper wants to, to sign you at Rotherham. And I was like, all oh, right. He says, everybody's a bit concerned that you like a fag and a drink. And I was like, who told you that? Like, I, had, I don't. You know, I, I had a young family at the time and, you know, I, I was pretty much a sort of, you know, I stayed in a lot. I was, you know, a home-based type of bloke and very family-orientated. I've always been family-orientated. Yeah, you know, I love my kids to death and um, I was never one for going out and, and, and getting wrecked, really. And, you know, there was, there was a lot there that were a lot worse than me. I think my main issue was I was a terrible trainer. During training, I was not good. Um, the fitness stuff was... I saw it more of a chore than something that I really should have been doing to keep myself, you know, in tip-top shape, really. And I think that got even harder when I got injured and when things started getting on top of me, sort of mentally, I guess. I almost sort of gave up a little bit, um, which I know is, is completely the wrong attitude to have. But then I think also I was a little bit immature in myself, um, you know, I look back to myself when I was like 25, 26, 27 and by that time you should be sort of growing into a sort of a man really and I was, I was a bit of an idiot really, I was just I liked having a good time and, and, and having a bit of a laugh rather than knuckling down and, and, and getting my word done really, so um, I guess yeah I didn't make the best of what I had and sometimes you know I look back and I do regret certain things. I regret that I didn't work hard enough. I regret that I didn't push myself as much as I should have done. Um, and I, I regret that I didn't open my mouth and communicate better. I think that was one of my main faults as well. So um, I think I, I, I should have done, and you know, to myself, I should have done a lot better with the career that I had. Um, and that's one of my biggest regrets. What one of the great thing? I mean, obviously, the biggest regret you have is is pulling on an Ipswich shirt. Um, I mean, that I should think you probably wake up in the middle of the night, you know, sweating and screaming about that. So, so let's just very briefly before you know, we'll, we'll come back to the. We'll start talking. Yeah, about I've got. I have got an excuse for that. I've got an excuse for that. Go on. Well, why is it personality disorder? Like, what is it? What possible excuse no, could got, you have? I've... I've got an excuse for that. Go on, what was your question? Eh? Well, just to say, how, <laughs> how, how on earth did someone who's, who's got such legendary status as part of that, of that playoff squad and then obviously has gone on to be, you know, the, the greatest Northern co-commentator of all time, how, how can you have ended up playing for scum, albeit in a friendly? I was banned from the training ground. Nigel, Nigel basically told me to go home and never come back. Uh, and that I wasn't welcome at the training ground anymore. Um, so basically, I had nowhere to train, uh, no nowhere to sort of. I had, you know, I had a, year, a year left on my contract, and he basically told me to get all my stuff together and 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 go. Um, so um, my agent rang Joe Royal. And basically said, could could Rivo just come down and, and basically train with you? Because he's got nowhere to, nowhere to train until he sorts himself a club out. So that's basically how I, you know, it was the nearest place to go. I don't think there was ever any chance of me signing for him. He did say when I got there that there was no funds and, you know, he, he didn't have any money to spend and this, that and the other. So 
it was basically purely just to get me running around and and and, and have a game really. Um, so that's how that panned out. I mean, you would have been but, one of the, uh, yeah. at, at that time. You would have been like one of the best players in there in their eleven, surely. Well, I'm, I can remember turning up and and um, at the training ground, and, and Jim McJilton met me. Who I'd, I'd always got on really well with Jim. You know, whenever we played against each other, he was he was a lively character. Um, you know. He was a great player as well. I mean, I know he played for Ipswich, but he, he was a great player, Jim was. And he, he was a fantastic character. And I remember walking and he went, fucking hell, Rivo, are you going to sign for us? And I was like, well, I don't know, but I don't think so. Um, and basically, I think it was never going to happen, full stop. Um, so it, I was I was there for a week or two and... Um, after, after I finished, Joe said, like, I'll give you a good recommendation wherever you end up. And best of luck, basically. And I got in the car and went home. Um, yeah, so that was that. That was that, really. Um, something, you you know, Norwich has always, has always been a, a place that I've always held in such high regard. You know, I had such a great time there. Um, I love living over there. Like I say, my daughter, my eldest daughter, Fallon, was born in Norwich. So I've got a lot, a lot of really fond memories of the place, and which is why you know I, I love being involved doing the uh, doing the sort of co-commentary and that again with with Chris. And I felt completely out of love with the game. You know, I, I'd go to say that I almost sort of hated it. Really, um, probably didn't watch a game of football for maybe ten years. Wow. And uh, I, yeah, and and Rob Butler rang me up and he said, McVeigh's just uh, give us your name because I think Paul was going into something else, branching off into whatever he's doing now, bloody keynote speaking or whatever. Telling people what to do. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, global superstar keynote speaker. Stephen. Anyway, whatever he was, whatever he was doing. I think they needed someone or a, a number of people to sort of fill in and, and they said, I'll oh, give Ribbo a ring because he's a, basically he's a knobhead, so he'll fit in quite well. Yeah, he might make you laugh a bit and this, that and the other and, and that's basically, Rob ran me up and said, do you fancy doing a game? I was like, mate, I don't even know what I'm talking about, so that'll be fun. Um, and they were like, yeah, well, see you on Saturday and that was it basically so that's how that started it's good to hear that the bbc uh, have got such a thorough uh, recruitment process yeah <laughs> yeah i've yeah. watched football for 10 well, years okay you're doing the game on saturday <laughs> well I, I remember he said like you're up to date with it all aren't you i said mate i don't even know who plays for norwich anymore <laughs> i was like oh my god i better get on the internet and do a bit of research but anyway i, I remember sitting down at the game and i was thinking don't even speak to me because if you do, I'm just going to make a complete fool of myself, but somehow sort of fudge my way through it. And I think I rely on being more of a layman than an expert, if you know what I mean. So I think you'll be, I think you, you might be, I mean, I don't know how much you read your own press, but I think you might be pleasantly surprised. I yeah. I think you might be pleasantly surprised what high esteem you're held in. Um, you're, you're, um, really? yeah, you're, you're, you're really, really popular with the Norwich fans. And I think it is, 
to be honest, I think it is the fact that there's the, there's the inherent respect that you were part of, you know, one of our great teams, um, you know, one of our great kind of couple of squads with, um, you know, with that amazing playoff run and, and, and then, you know, part of the, the, the squad, you know, at least very much in the early days of, of the championship winning team. Um, mm. but, but, but the fact that I, you've, I think you've just hit the nail on the head. You almost approach it like, well, I'm just here watching a game of football with my friend, Chris. And when, if he asks me a question, I'll give him my opinion. And, and I honestly think that maybe some of the others with the greatest respect, maybe try a little bit harder to um, make out that, well, I've been brought here to give my opinion and I, and I think this, and this is why I think this, and I'm going to, I'm going to give my opinion and try and sound like I'm really knowledgeable on the shape of the game. Whereas you'll just say, yeah, he's not really working very hard. Is he? I think he needs to work harder. And, and that is, that, that mm-hmm. is, I think the, that is the kind of the Rivo experience that works really, really well because you, you almost, I often think with, with listening to the, 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 the radio Norfolk commentary that, with with Chris Gorham, he is. We are absolutely spoiled with him. But if you think, when you hear uh, some clips and some commentary, and if you travel about the country, if you hear any of the other kind of local guys, there are not many that are even close to how professional and excellent Gorham is. Um, so you almost don't need someone to be super polished and super researched and really heavy on stats and stuff because it's almost like, well, no, we've got that in Chris. Like Chris, you're not going to be better than Chris Gorham at that. So it's almost, that's, I think, why it works even better to have someone who is genuinely seems to be there and, and not kind of believe in their own hype too much and not trying to be a pundit, but actually being someone who, who hopefully likes football. So would you say you have fallen back in love with football or is it, is it, is it sort of, it's a relationship state that's complicated? Has, has covering Norwich in a bit more depth brought you back into the fold? Uh, well, to start with, you've hit the nail on the head. Chris is like, he's phenomenal at what he does, really. Um, he's got loads of stats down, written down in his book. You know, um, his knowledge is, is phenomenal. And also, I think the way he talks through the game as well, you know, like you just said, you, when you listen back to his commentary, you know, you are listening to someone that is, you know... I, I, you use like the famous commentators, you know, like John Motson and people like that. Yeah. He's he's almost there, isn't he? He's like, mm. he's, he's really, really good. Um, and like I sit there and I think, well, I, I haven't got that sort of knowledge. You know, I spent years not even watching games of football. You know, I've got the knowledge of the behind the scenes and I've got the knowledge of what players get up to and the relationships with, between players and, uh, and, and managers and things like that and how the games are approached and how they're set up and things like that. But ultimately, I haven't got the knowledge that a lot of people have that watch football all the time. But what I can see is how a player is sort of approaching the game and, and what his sort of mental attitude is and whether he looks bothered and... Um, and I like watching, you know, the, the forwards, the movement, you know, Pookie in, in particular. I love his movement. I love how intelligent he is and, and things like that. And I like to think that I'm not a smart ass. I'm not someone that's going to go, oh, well, I used to play for this and I was amazing because I wasn't. I was all right some weeks. I was absolutely dire at the others. And sometimes you've just got to sit there and go, right, well, he's crap he's not doing this he's not doing that he's amazing he's this he's that what a great goal that was 
and that was a load of rubbish. And sometimes I think, I mean, I, I, I'm not on Twitter and things like that, and I don't really know how I'm received. I mean, some people send me messages and that and saying, oh, good comms, Rimo, and all that, and nice to hear you. But not that many, really, I'd say. You know, I maybe got half a dozen after a game. So, you know, I've, I've probably only got a limited knowledge of how well I'm received, really. But it's nice to, to hear that, you know, I'm sort of liked, I guess. Well, again, it, a lot of it, it, it does come back to, um, it goes back to the, to the playoff run. Um, so just just to kind of touch on that, that that must have been a that that must have been a hell of a day um, in terms of your um, in terms of your footballing career. Um, mm. I mean, f- firstly, the I I was there uh, as as John was. Um, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen uh, you know I hadn't been to Wembley with 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 Norwich, um, so that was the first time I'd been to an occasion like that. You know, all, all that way to Cardiff and just seen that to many yellow mm. and green um you know supporters in one place i mean it was just an unbelievable day um so so as a player what what was that like to be involved in such a such an historic especially a team that aren't exactly in a cup final every couple of years like norwich yeah i i played in a playoff final for crew uh, at wembley um and i think you know wembley was such a sort of vast ground you know the, the stands were way back this was before it was renovated and that so it was the old the old Wembley black and white you know what it? I mean yeah um I played in that game and we won it was like the most amazing feeling ever you know achieving a win on such a big occasion and then to play at Cardiff was something new you know really and I felt so up for that game. I can remember, I can remember, like, I didn't really get nervous before games. Um, people have often said about me that, you know, I was a really calming influence before games and I'd sit there and, you know, a lot of them would be sweating and, like, getting themselves G'd up and, you know, shouting, go on and all that business. Whereas I'd just sit there and read the programme and I'd get changed right towards the end just before got out I'd still be in my tracksuit or my suit or whatever and I'd get changed late stick my boots on and run out and get warmed up but that day I just felt as though things were going to go right and I felt so up for the game uh, really positive and I can remember having really quite a good game you know was, um, and during the whole the whole time we were playing I thought we we're going to win this I had a really good feeling that we were going to that we were going to win. And then when we actually got beaten on penalties, it was like a real low moment. You know, I think I remember thinking, shit, that was like, why, how did we end up losing that? You know, did you think you could have made a difference? Do you think if you'd have been on the pitch, because you'd, you know, you'd come off, what was it, probably towards the end of the game, was it? Um, Because you were probably one of those players that you'd have thought, he's taking a penalty, you know, he's got a bit of technique about him and he'll definitely be taking a pen. Well, I can remember we we trained like the day before the game, um, and we were obviously practicing penalties. And, and Nigel went, "Don't even bother practicing because you won't be on for penalties." And I was like, "Why?" <laughs> and he just had an habit of just taking me off, didn't he? But um, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd have scored. I'd tell you that. For me. I never missed a penalty in my whole career. So I'd have guaranteed I'd, you know, I'd have guaranteed I'd have scored because when I got in front of goal and especially taking things like that, I, I didn't even. I never got nervous. Um, and I had complete, you know, faith in my ability to to, to score a penalty or. If I got in in, in, in with a good opportunity, I'd, I'd back myself to score a goal. You know, that seems like so, particularly bad management to 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 like. Where that almost seems like a bullying approach to trying to get a player in the right mindset the day before a game. Like, don't bother practicing a penalty; you might not even be on. That, that was that banter in any way, or was that just like you, know, you and Nigel weren't exactly kind of on each other's Christmas card list. No, he he was fine. Honestly, he was fine. There was there was no animosity there. I think it was basically, I think that that first season I was there had obviously started. Um, I think I picked up a bit of a knock at the start of the season, and and Alex Notman used to come on quite a lot towards the end of the, the games, and it was quite often me that sort of made way for him. And to be fair, I think it was Alex that crossed it for Ewan to score, wasn't it? In in yeah, yeah, extra it was. time, so. You know, to say that I'd have made a difference is, I don't know, it's neither in and there, is it? Because like Alex clearly made a difference by by setting up the goal for for you. And so, did you think we'd won? Yeah, I did. Yeah, you, you, we had you and I thought on, the, I the thought, same. I thought the whole I thought the whole game we're not going to get beat. I honestly felt so positive about it that I didn't think we were going to get beat. Um, I thought we were better than Birmingham. You know, generally, I thought we were better than them. Um, so yeah, it was a real downer when when we got beat on penalties. It really was. John, have we got any questions from the listeners that we haven't covered in our ramble so far? Well, we've we've covered a lot of it. I think a lot of people are really interested in in the Ipswich thing. So I'm glad you've you've cleared that up, Mark. <laughs> but we do have we do have a few listener questions, um, and actually they probably educated me. They caused me to look at your Instagram. And um, it seems like you're quite the skateboarder nowadays, which wasn't wasn't necessarily what I was expecting when I looked at your Instagram. So um, uh-huh. Richard Freezer, he asks, during your Norwich career, who would have made the best skateboarder and who would have been the worst? Oh, crikey. Uh, best skateboarder. Well, someone with balance, someone with um, a bit of a sort of no carry attitude, I guess. So... Maybe Phil Mulrine, he, he was uh, he was very like carefree and didn't really care, you know, about this that and you know, very very free spirited. Maybe he'd have been a good skateboarder. He's, I know he's a priest now, isn't he, or whatever he is, father yeah, yeah. Mulrine. Uh, but during the time, yeah, I guess he, he was pretty good on his feet as well, wasn't he? So maybe him. Uh, it'd be the worst, probably Malky, wouldn't it? Or Rob Green, <laughs> the size of his head. <laughs> would have weighed him over well yeah i love the skateboarding there's it's, probably uh, a story it. there there's probably a story there like you so you've ended up banging to your skateboarding phil Ryan from around the same time as has ended up as a priest steen nedegaard mm. i'm sure he went back to to be an estate agent or something random like that that whole squad seems to have gone and taken very varied paths but yeah talk to us about your skateboarding but I think Steen, Steen was had gone into management, I'm sure, in some Danish team, because he rang me up um, asking me to go and play for this Danish team. Um, 
towards the end of my career. Anyway, moving on. Um, skateboard, yeah, I was basically, I was getting fat. I was getting really fat. I was up towards like 16 stone. Uh, and I was beginning to really hate myself. And that, like, I, I couldn't really run. Uh, I literally did de- detest the gym. Um, and my, my cousin, uh, he's roughly the same age as me. He's a little bit older than me. Um, he'd taken it up because he was well into his surfing. And, and like me, he got a bit overweight and a bit fat. And he'd started skateboarding and lost a ton of weight. Um, and he said, just get yourself a board and just push yourself around. And if nothing else, you might lose a bit of weight. So I set myself up with a deck and that and fell off a million times. Um, just we've got a car park at work and it's pretty smooth. So I just used to push myself around there and fall off and get back up and push myself around a bit more. And I noticed it was, I was getting quite a good workout out of it and enjoying myself quite a lot. And then uh, they built a, a really nice uh, skate park in Leap where I live. So I started going down there in the morning, you know, avoiding all the scooters and the kids and that. So, and obviously the embarrassment of making a fool of myself, falling off all the time. <laughs> um, and got sort of okay at it, really. And I've, I've lost quite a bit of weight and I really enjoy it. It's, it's, it's a hobby I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying. Um, I'm getting fit out of it. I'm having a laugh. I'm sort of like getting the thrill of nearly killing myself once a week, <laughs> you know, when things go horribly wrong, uh, which they have done, but, you know, I wear the pads and stuff and luckily I haven't been too hurt, you know, other than sort of banged up here and there a bit. But, uh, yeah, I've got right into sort of bowl skating, which is uh, basically like a, a big swimming pool almost, basically, and, and I love just sitting around there and carving around and it's really good exercise and, uh, it's real good fun as well. Yeah, that, that was another question. So that, this was from Mark Davies. Could you ask Mark, are you more proud of doing a frontside carve grind or playing for Norwich City? Now, can you tell us what a frontside carve grind might even be? Oh, so, okay. So a frontside carve grind is where you go uh, around uh, the transition of a bowl. So, and you're going round to your left so that you, you, your face is looking up towards the sky, so you're basically turning blind. Mm. And there's a, there's a metal uh, bar that runs across the top of the transition called a coping, uh, and you, you grind your trucks along the coping, so you can be sort of six, seven foot up in the air, turning blind and grinding your, your trucks along the metal bar across the coping. So it's, it's pretty exciting, pretty thrilling. Mm. I've, uh, I've fallen a lot, off a lot trying that particular trick. Um, so it's, it's been, uh, been quite an achievement to be able to do it, really, especially sort of at the age I am. And, and you know, I'm not old, but obviously 44, it's, it's not really... I mean, there is quite a few sort of middle-aged guys that are skating and stuff and some ones that are really bloody good as well. So uh, I think that's quite an achievement. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously playing football, isn't it? But... Um, yeah. I'm getting a, I'm getting a right buzz out of, out of doing the skateboarding, obviously because I can't play football anymore. Yeah, well, it's good um, to hear. It is good to hear. Um, if yeah. we take you to your punditry a bit more now, so Jamie Allison is really interested to know how close you've come to swearing on Canary Call. So he asked that on Twitter, and then someone else yeah. chimed in and said, 
actually, you've probably got a record of swearing on Radio Norfolk when you um you struggled to pronounce Yannick Viltshut. Yeah. Yeah, I've, yeah uh, I've been told off a couple of times um, <laughs> for swearing. Um, when, when I first started doing it, I can remember um, we, were, we were actually at, at Rotherham. And when you, you're at Rotherham, the, the commentary box is literally in the stand. And there was a, there was a bunch of like older type of thick accent Yorkshire dudes they were getting really irate because obviously we were beating them. And this one guy turned to me and he went, Rivers, you can F off, you effing wanker, and all this like proper swearing at me. And I just went, why don't you just F off yourself? And I had my microphone right next to my mouth. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure someone tweeted Rob and said, was that River that just swore on me? <laughs> uh, and yeah, Chris, I can remember Chris's face turning around and looking at me as if like, that's it, you're trapped. <laughs> you, you're never, you're never going to commentate ever again. But yeah, as far as Yannick Vildschut was concerned, I think I did say his name incorrectly a couple of times, but I think on the odd occasion, I sort of accidentally did it on purpose. I think it was that. It was, it was yeah, it suited him. Yes, it's time for the Along Come Norwich quiz. Rivo, obviously you know you've got one minute to answer six questions. They're not all about you. Um, you know, we could ask you about property development, horse training, engineering, chauffeuring, um, skateboarding, which obviously you've oh, covered. God, none of that. Um, so uh, we're going we're gonna to concentrate more on the football. So, uh, John, get your timer ready. Mark, you really? should, don't forget to use your, uh, your passes. We'll come back round to the ones you've passed on. So you want to get through as many questions as you can um, in your right. minute. Your time starts now. Who was the other Danish player alongside Steve Nedegaard in the 2001-2002 squad? Uh, David Nielsen. Correct. Who was the Irish defender who Brian Hamilton signed in 2000, made 20-odd appearances, but was released during the 2001-2002 season? Is that Brian McGovern? It is, correct. Which English team have won their only ever appearance in a European final? Incorrect. Name one of the players to appear for both Liverpool and Everton in the top flight. Pass. Uh, name one of the Premier League clubs who haven't had an England, uh, haven't had a player capped by England in 2020. In the Premier League this year. Yeah. Pass. Uh, which former Norwich player scored at the 1970 World Cup finals? Time. Mick so Shannon. It was Martin Peters. Um, oh. Cool. Some toughies in there, mate. There were some toughies, but uh, you started very, very strongly. And then when we kind yeah. of left the 2001-2002 season, it, it went, it went <laughs> slightly yeah, downhill. Me. That's, that's my football knowledge gone, man. Yeah. So the uh, punt, do you want to have a go at the only English team to have been one and done in a European final? Derby, no, Derby County didn't do it. Um, Villa, yes. no. Yeah, yeah Villa, really. Villa okay. in 82. They're just the one yeah. and they won it. Um, 
Then uh, Liverpool and Everton in the top Peter five. Peter Beardsley. Peter Beardsley, yep. Yeah. Um, I, think I can't think of one, any others. I think Beardsley did one in Division 1 and one in the Prem. But um, yeah, uh, Burroughs, Hutchinson, Barnby, Xavier, Vesterveld, Beardsley and Ablett. Barnby. Um, and then... Uh, one of the Premier League clubs who haven't had a player capped by England in 2020. This this was a bit of a layup for you. I think it was a confusing question. Yeah, you, you could have had Brighton, Crystal Palace, West Brom, Fulham, Newcastle and Sheffield United. Um, Sheffield United last had an England cap player in 1992. Um, and then, yeah, Martin Peters was, was, was scored at the World Cup. Okay, so, John, uh, you can time yourself because I trust you. Your time, two to beat, starts now. Who is the other Scottish attacking player alongside Alex Notman in the 2001-2002 squad? Um, why do I not know that? Pass. Know. Go on. Who started on the left of midfield in the Cardiff playoff final? Clint Easton. Correct. On the night Norwich won the league in 2004 at Sunderland, which team beat West Brom to help Norwich seal the title? Um, Q- Stoke. Yes. Which former Norwich player won 11 England caps whilst playing with West Ham? Rob Green. Correct. Before Calvert-Lewin last month, who was the last Everton Premier League Player of the Month in March 2017? Seamus mm, Coleman? No. Name a non-Manchester City Belgian to have won the League Cup. Pass. Uh, who was the other Scottish attacking player alongside Alex Notman in the 2001-2002 squad? Attacking player? Uh... Sort of midfield-y, striker-y, bit shit. That was good, though. No, but pass. Um, uh, which he was oh, still time, time, time. Oh yeah, Paul yeah, Daglish. Right. I don't associate him with that team. No, it was because he wasn't good enough to get in it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I associate him with like late nineties Norwich rather than than um, the kind of the the playoff side. He, he left. He left the first year I was there. Yeah, he, it was there was just about a crossover, and that was why I. Was it, why yeah, I, I remember him being there. Yeah. Pre-season, yeah. Hell of a haircut. Yeah. yeah. He, he was funny. He was really funny. He had a great sense of humour. He's the, he, he's over in America, isn't he? Is he? He's the yeah. manager yeah. of an American team now. Yeah, I think he's doing really well over there. So you got you got the bad skateboarder Robert Green. Um, the uh, Romelu Lukaku was the last Everton player to get Premier League Player of the Month. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the Belgians that aren't from Manchester City to have won a League Cup, uh, you could have had uh, Lamar from Swansea, and then the Chelsea boys Eden Hazard and Thibaut Courtois. And mm, yeah. you could have had uh, uh, Mawam Fellaini off of Man United. Um, but it's still enough to be victorious. Uh, so with three out of six, you are the winner I'm not this su- week. I'm not surprised. Well, I'm he, surprised. he should have got Paul Dalglish, really. But I guess he was a bit niche. Let's have a quick prediction. How many goals are we going to get past Wickham, John? 3-0, uh, I'm going to go for. What's the score going to be against Wickham, please, Mark? Uh, four. Four now. Wow. Love it, love it. So that's Take seven that. goals to in it. I will go. They are, they are crap. They are crap. So I will. So so I will go for a three-one loss. No, I'll go for five-nil. Um, Rivo, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so yeah, much brilliant. for spending the time chatting away to us this evening. Um, we look forward to yeah, hearing no you on many more iFollows and many more uh, car journeys up and down the land as you uh, as you take over whenever Norwich go north of Birmingham, which seems to be your calling card. Um, and and yeah, we, we hope to speak to you soon. Uh, John, I also acknowledge that you have been uh, on the call. Uh, everyone else, Cheers, enjoy the game on uh, Saturday. Mind how you go.